Hello, and welcome to episode five of Mark's Movie Collection. I am Mark D. I am an IT guy, a dad, and a generally bad movie nerd. And this episode is going to be about a movie that came out in a year that I didn't look up and that I should look up right now, actually. So I'm doing that one handed. I am. BB. Pitch Black. This is a movie that came out in the year 2000, and it's called, as you may have guessed it, by the episode title or by me saying that I'm searching for it, Pitch Black. Pitch Black, um, I think I saw it once, and I don't really remember it <clears throat> i don't remember it fully i should say um but in general reception of it uh was good so it's one of those things where i'm gonna go ahead and watch it and and kind of rewatch it with maybe fresher eyes and see what we do right Richard B. Riddick is listed as the Vin Diesel's character's name. And you have to understand that Pitch Black maybe made Vin Diesel the action star that he is. So you have to understand that Vin Diesel... So apparently the first time I had heard him was in The Fifth Element. He's an uncredited voice, according to IMDb. But the first time that I saw him, and I do remember this, he was uh, Caparzo in Saving Private Ryan. And he gets shot. He dies. But, like, still, he's like a dude, and he's like, hey, Caparzo! Ah! Right? Then apparently he was the voice of the Iron Giant, which, sure, I've never seen the Iron Giant, so, whatever. And, I mean, maybe I was a little too old to see Iron Giant. Maybe I wasn't. I know a lot of people who have, but that one kind of passed me by. But right after that, uh, he is Riddick. Or actually, I should say, he is um, Chris Varick in Boiler Room, which I did see Boiler Room. Has everybody's favorite um, Scientologist, Giovanni Rubisi. And he's like, uh, I gotta get my tool. No, it's actually a, a pretty fun movie about uh, junk bonds and how shitty the stock market can be. So he was there and then, uh, pitch black and he had a, a, not a huge role in boiler room, but in pitch black, he is, he is ostensibly the star. Sure. And then in the fast and the furious, he is the star again. Uh, and then he had knockaround guys, which I never saw. And then triple X, obviously, uh, very obviously, the star in triple X. Then a man apart, which I have literally no idea what that is. And then another Riddick movie. So pitch black really was the springboard for, or maybe not the springboard, but if one would say that saving private Ryan was the springboard for 
No, Saving Private Ryan is him going up the uh, the diving thing. Uh, the springboard, I guess, would be pitch black, right? Because that, that gave him that stratospheric rise to stardom. And it, like so much so that he's now like a meme. And that's hilarious in and of itself. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to watch Pitch Black. I really don't have a history with it. I've seen, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending, all of the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, I've seen Guardians. I know that he plays Groot. He is Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. Right? I didn't watch that Witch Hunter movie. Uh, I watched D&D Diesel and Celebrity D&D, sure. But, like, that's all whatever. I don't know. Um, pitch black. Let's, uh, let's turn off the lights and let's watch it. Okay. So that was pitch black. That was, uh, directed by David Chewy. It's not spelled how you think it is. And it's interesting coming off of, um, Jeez, what was it that I watched last? I think it was it Swordfish. I ah, God, I don't even remember right now. I think it was Swordfish, and coming off of Swordfish, this is interesting. It's um contemporary in terms of time, and there are some commonalities there that I don't necessarily appreciate, but um, it's nowhere near. The, the tier of, I think it's more things from the filmmakers that kind of leaked out into the movie than Swordfish, which was like, hey, fuck women, fuck everyone, murder everyone, you're the alpha male. Um, if you did not listen to my episode about Swordfish, you can go back and do that uh, because it's, it's telling. That is a, a movie that is telling about the thought process behind it. Uh, Pitch Black is not at that tier. So, it's not that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just gonna forego any comparisons because in scale they don't make sense. So, we'll keep them separate. But Pitch Black is, um, it's, Pitch Black is a sci-fi survival horror movie. And it operates kind of how you think it would. And, like, thinking back to other sci-fi survival horror movies, like Event Horizon, it is a little different. And I think that the, that the tropes, that the expectations that were set up on those movies, in those previous movies, were, were maybe subverted a little bit, where, you know... It seems obvious to us now because we live in a post-pitch black world. Um, I'm sure a lot of people watch this movie and and this essentially indie movie because it was made for about 20 million bucks, estimated. It's pretty self-aware. It knows exactly what type of movie it is. So it knows how to subvert your expectations, but also how to still satisfy them. You came into this movie expecting people to get eaten by space monsters they are definitely 
definitely getting eaten by space monsters. The the writing is uh good enough. Right? It doesn't seem I let me hold off on on what it seems like. Um but I guess just to get into it, a, a random event happens that knocks this uh ship out of cryosleep and it turns out that they're crashing their way off course. And during the crash the ship's captain is dead. The first mate is dead. The pilot survives, along with a handful of passengers. The majority of the passengers and crew and supplies and all that stuff just die, dead, go away forever. Interestingly enough, though, the pilot attempted to kill all passengers to help save herself and the ship. That is an interesting thing, and... um so it's a fate, the ejection lever, the, the purge lever to, I guess, purge the rest of that ship, uh, got stuck, and she ended up with a crash. So it was interesting already to see this uh, moral quandary. Do we save ourselves, or do we all die? Um, what is, you know, duty and responsibility and what is self-preservation right and to put those at odds kind of with each other um it's one thing to survive but it's another thing to survive and not hate yourself which one is really surviving maybe is a question um you know and it starts out a bit uh alieny but it kind of immediately puts puts you in a place where you're like oh wait this is not this is not really a ripoff of Alien. This is something else, and yeah, the 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 fabric maybe is similar, but the the pattern of the cloth be is very different. And I just want to say the science of this movie is is not there. Uh, at the speed that they crashed, literally everyone would have been exploded into tiny uh, giblets or giblets depending on, on how you say that word. I've never actually heard it pronounced by a human, uh, but I know of it from Quake. So, I mean, we have an interesting cast of characters. We have, like, uh, two thief types, uh, a cop, a pilot, who essentially you would imagine would be like, oh, one of the good guys, but actually already tried to kill everyone on the ship. Uh, a religious man and some religious boys, religious man and some religious boys. And I have, I have a problem saying that word right now. Maybe it's just how I was sitting. Uh, and that, that's a weird situation. He's an Iman and he's, I guess, taking them on a pilgrimage because space Muslims, but, uh, it's just a weird, a weird sitch. Uh, Claudia Black plays one of the thieves, and uh, I know of Claudia Black primarily from Stargate, but other things as well. Uh, she was on Farscape apparently at this time. This movie filmed in Australia, and I believe Stargate, uh, Farscape filmed in Australia as well, so that made for easy pickings. Um, there's one, uh, one British dude whose name is like Paris or something. And he literally has a sarcophagus filled with, like, cool alcohol. And that was really interesting. Uh, 
Keith David plays the Iman, and that's fun. Keith David in anything, his voice is so, so wonderful. Uh, he really kind of steals Vin Diesel's uh, thunder in the, in the voice department. So essentially they come onto a planet with three suns and no nightfall. And they got to figure out the survival situation and... You know, it's a whole thing. They foreshadow it a little bit. There's something about seven stones to keep the demons at bay. Um, and it's interesting because the different suns provide a different light. They light, or they, I should say, they grade the film vastly differently um, per sun. And it's one that's like white and weird, and another one that's very warm and yellow, and it's just whatever. That's neither here nor there, but it gives it a different look. Um, and they come across this like weird graveyard, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this means, but there's all these massive like skeletons and stuff like that, and it's pretty wild. Um, but there's a, a scene in in the graveyard where where the cop, uh, whose name is Johns, who's played by Cole Hauser, um, asked the pilot who's Carolyn, like what she's hiding. And uh, Carolyn's, the actress has an interesting name that'll probably come to me towards the end of this. Um, and he had heard, I think overheard something on the comms as they were going down. And she admits to him straight up. She's like, hey, I literally almost killed all y'all. And uh, at this point, uh, Riddick is, who's the super criminal, had escaped and uh, was about to kill either her or John's or both. And he chooses not to. He backs down hearing this honesty. He he does he kills no one. And I wanted to leave comparisons to Swordfish behind. But when it comes to talking about Riddick, it's hard to do that. Because Riddick is this, um, how shall I put it? anarchic uh beast animal man who is purely libertarian and while he may kill you or may not kill you it's kind of up to him and he doesn't just do it he has his own code he lives by his own code he's a bad man he lives by his own code and he doesn't stand up to no malarkey right like um he would probably be a motorcycle gang member's favorite character which is funny because motorcycle gang members in and of themselves are followers. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so he's really a proto-alpha male, not in the political leader sense, but in the libertarian sense. And he plays things very um, animalistic and uh, dieselly. Diesel of the Vin... Uh, of the Vin variety. So it's interesting because the first death on uh, on this planet is actually uh, some rando, some random stranger uh, sneaks up or walks up on, on some folks and they get surprised. And another Australian dude, uh, Zeke, I believe his character's name was, straight marks him. And Zeke, lo and behold, is the first one to die. And for a little while, I had it pegged that um, people were dying based off the seven deadly sins. 
I'm not super down on that, but it doesn't feel like a very thorough pattern because he would be wrathful. He just he drew on that guy. He's like, I thought it was Riddick, but drew on him like real quick. He goes to look in a tunnel, gets eaten. And they think that it was Riddick that killed him, and they're like, oh, God. And then we find out his name is Richard B. Riddick, and that is like a dumb name for a super macho animal man space criminal. But Richard is his name. And apparently he's like super notorious or something, and everybody knows about him because everybody's afraid of shit. I was not built up to be afraid of him at this point. Uh, it's kind of around now that maybe he gets his first line like half uh, half an hour into the movie. So I get that he's dangerous, but I don't know that they know that he's dangerous. Uh, but Carolyn goes to talk to him. I wrote, audience sees some tentacle monster. And I'm going to apologize now because I actually saw this several days ago. It's just been so, so busy. Um... I saw it in two, two shifts, essentially. And this part, the beginning of the movie, I saw, man, like a business week ago. So I don't remember a good amount of this. I'm so sorry. I'm going through my notes here. I'm just like, what? Tentacle monster? What? Um, but I, I, I guess I think the, the end result of the Carolyn Riddick scene is that she does have the courage to look deeper. And there's a good jump scare. Uh, that rewards her. And Riddick, you know, is like, you're finding out now he's more of the noble savage kind of ideal. Uh, but John's go ahead, goes ahead, and uh, John's makes a deal with Riddick to get them out of there. He'll let them go free. Uh, there's also a kid named Jack who keeps emulating Riddick, uh, shaved head, wearing stupid glasses. You know, because Riddick... Um, I guess going back to Riddick and how he mirrors the character of Gabriel Shear in Swordfish, he has stupid fashion accessories, one of them being what would look normally like welder's goggles, but if they were made by Oakley in the year 2000 or 1999. And it's just dumb as fuck. And he, fuck, he has confidence wearing those welder's goggles because he has augmented eyes and he can see in the dark because he was in a jail where it was only dark. If that makes sense. I don't think that it does. I also have having issues with my computer going to screensaver when it shouldn't and not going to screensaver when it should. And, um, I had to rock that up, but yeah, man, like the fashion choices are generally okay. But the things for Riddick, he's in a tank top the whole time. Like, it's just, it's very cheesy. It's very cheesy, 15-year-old-y. The filmmakers are generally adults here. So it's just telling, I think. You know, so they end up in an outpost that's abandoned and, you know, by, by now the audience knows, hey, everybody that was there got eaten, but, you know, the characters kind of have to spend some time and be like, why is all this stuff here? You know? Uh, 
you know, one of the Muslim kids gets caught and they find out, hey, there's monsters. And they find a, a machine that models the, um, the solar system and they find out that there's going to be an eclipse real soon. And they don't know how long it's going to last, but they just know it's going to happen and they know that the monsters like the darkness and are underground. So, you know, I guess knowing that it's, uh, you know, we, we also find out John's is lying to Riddick and he's like, I'm going to kill that guy or whatever. Uh, we find out he's a bounty hunter, not a cop, even though he looks like a cop, he's just trying to get on the, 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 oh God, the reward. Um, they do have a nice, uh, BD logo on a, on a morphine capsule because John's is addicted to morphine. Uh, but he has morphine because he has shrapnel on his back that Riddick put there, but he's still an addict and it's still, it's still really messed up and. You know, then Johns comes with a stupid fucking plan to try to ditch Riddick or keep him from killing everyone. And because of that, everybody is now doomed to darkness because they waited until the last minute and they try to stay together. But it's like, uh, let's make a cart and let's start pushing the, the light with it. And it's a literal payload map if you've ever played Team Fortress or Overwatch or any of those games. Uh, and bro, people start dying. We learn that Jack is a girl. Um, Paris is a coward and he runs off. Just can't deal with it. Claudia Black uh, gets eaten because she gets up when she wasn't told that she should. Almost like um, the chick turning into a pillar of salt because she looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and out of all the... Everyone's really upset to learn that that Jack is a girl uh, because Jack is presented as a boy the whole time, but apparently she's menstruating and the monsters sense this. And that feels like a specifically uh, misogynistic kind of movie plot device thing. But Carolyn is like, hey, you guys are assholes. And she's like, hey, you're okay. And she treats uh, Jack with a lot of compassion, I guess, also being the sole surviving woman. But the movie doesn't sit on this and be like, aha, it's your fault, uh, menstruating girl. Like, no, they just they go on with it. So I thought that was a really, uh, a really nice way of, of handling that. Like, that was a fun reveal because Riddick knew the whole time. But the audience didn't, and the characters, other characters didn't. But they don't dwell on it. They're not like, oh, it's her fault. They're just like, okay, it is what it is. Like, you know, move on. <sighs> and then Riddick gets into a fight with Johns, and it's like a dumb, super macho fight. And he hits him in the back where the shrapnel is and, like, paralyzes him or kills him or something. But there's a part where Riddick literally gets his arm straight broken. Like, uh, his uh, fibula and tibula are, like, in, in two each, and then he just snaps it back into place. Like, he's some fucking lizard and is, like, regenerating it. Come the fuck on. I mean, I get it, right? I guess he needs to be that tier of hero for this movie because the tier of monster that he's fighting is, is that high, but this is on some little boy shit. You know, this is what we thought was cool when we were 12. 
So, you know, I don't know. But, um... He, he, he then has a God talk with the Iman, and the Iman is like, oh, why don't you pray with me? And he's like, I'm not praying a shit. You know, he's been in prison most of the time and all this stuff, and he's seen all this horrible stuff, and the Iman's like, well, God, you know, exists or whatever. Why, or is, why does that make you think that God doesn't exist? And he says, no, I do think that God exists. I know he does, and he hates me, basically, is, is what he says. And it was interesting to see that kind of debate and how that ends up shaking out at the end because towards the end, the Iman and Jack need rescuing. And Carolyn and Riddick, or Carolyn goes and Carolyn and Riddick make it back. And, you know, he's like, oh, there's my God now, right? Like, kind of saving him through somebody who is not godless per se, but, you know, pretends that, that God has forsaken him. And maybe he has. And that's interesting. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a, it's it's a plot. It's a survival plot, and they're gonna make it through. And the movie, I'm I'm not gonna go through the plot anymore. I'll, we'll 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 talk about the end a little bit, and it's gonna be a big spoiler because the end was a bit of a reveal. But the movie itself, thematically is interesting because there are certain things that are a, a little at odds with each other. It worships uh, Riddick, who is this lawless, but with a personal code, uh, you know, super macho animal man. But he's not, like... I don't recall him being very hypersexualized, like, I'm gonna bone all these chicks or anything like that. That was never the vibe I got. Like, he was just kind of on his own. And I guess that's fine. He doesn't necessarily seek out the violence, but the violence comes to him and he he savagely like puts it down. So it's one of those things where he is maybe the most neutral, the most neutral character in this. Um, which is almost uh, maybe uh, uh, Ubermenchi, per se. Maybe there's some Nietzsche. Uh, in there, I'm not really fully up on my Nietzsche, per se. The most of what I know about Nietzsche is about abysses and what uh, what they talk about in Little Miss Sunshine. But he seems to be kind of along those lines. But, you know, not racist or eugenist or anything like that. And the other characters have their issues and the ones who show these flaws of lying of wrath of cowardice things like that they die they straight die and i think it could have been maybe a little more straight line with the themes uh but it did okay it wasn't heavy-handed um, but it wasn't not. 
And I'm looking at the filmography here of the writers. Uh, David Tui is credited as being a screenwriter, but I'm looking at the uh, at the actual story writers, and not a lot of credits here to know about. Like they did all the Riddick stuff and the video games. But kind of like really like B movies and C movies and even maybe a couple of D movies in there. Um and they haven't really done much since the last Riddick. Um But I I Rada Mitchell, by the way, is the actress's name that plays Carolyn Fry. Um So I think there's it it's not necessarily a morality tale per se so much as it is a tale where the wicked do get punished but everybody gets punished um and maybe for their past transgressions right so obviously Riddick and Carolyn are warming up to each other maybe not in a sexual way because it doesn't really seem to have that sexual tension but more in a brother-sister way, a respect way, things like that, where they, they fully respect each other and enjoy each other's company. They enjoy the honesty that the other provides in communication. They get trapped up in a cave, and Riddick keeps rolling through carrying like three, four hundred pounds of, of power cells or, you know, a thousand pounds of power cells, like muscling it through the desert because he's that strong. Because he's Vin Diesel. And he gets attacked by no monsters, and he puts all that stuff in the ship that they found. And at that point, Carolyn leaves the safety of the shelter that uh, her, Iman, and, and Jack were in. Because all the boys died, all the Muslim boys died. Except for the Iman. The Iman stayed alive. And I don't know why the Iman stayed alive versus the Muslim boys, but I would say that um, while the Muslim boys were kind of Middle Eastern and like light-skinned and could pass, uh, Keith David is by far the darkest skin and I guess subverted the expectation of the uh, black guy dying. So the black guy lives in this movie, which is fine. It's good, sure. But I don't know that that's necessarily. I think it's a checkbox in the. Uh, I think it's a checkbox in the trope section of of sci-fi B movies and sci-fi movies in general. But I don't think it's any uh, any big deal. So Riddick uh, gets into it with Carolyn. He's like, "Let's get out of here," and she's like, "No," and. He finally starts convincing her, but then she realizes that she had already taken the coward's way out by trying to kill these people, and, and you know, she's, like, feeling really upset about about this, and she's like, no, fuck you, I'm the captain of this ship. We're not going anywhere, we gotta go back and get him." And that in and of itself is, like, a, a big shock, and Riddick, like, throws her on the floor, because he's Riddick, and he's, like, so manly. Pulls a knife on her and stuff, and you know, he's like, "Would you die for them?" And she's like, "Yeah, I would. I would. I know." She said, "I would try for them." 
And it's like, that you didn't answer the question. She says, yes, I would die for them. It's like, how curious, I think is his response. Um, but eventually, like, just that commitment kind of sold him on this fool's mission because he knows that it's supremely dangerous and he knows that he's lucky to have gotten that far. But the fact that she is committing herself so honestly, I think, is what sells him on it. So they go back, they roll through, and that's when the man is like, oh, God, God is good, or whatever. And then they leave again, and Riddick stays behind because, of course, they just went through a place, but now they're they're coming right back through it a second ago, and all the monsters are there fighting, so they kind of get away, and Riddick um, gets into a huge fight with, like, 90 monsters, and he kills 85 of them. And Carolyn hears him fighting a monster and has to run out back into the darkness to try to get him. Right? Finally, a monster throws him somewhere into her vicinity. She gets him and she's like, get up! And he's all messed up. And this is the first Dude literally had his arm broken in two and sets it back. But this is the first time that that you genuinely see him uh, hurt. And mind you, this is the guy who earlier in the movie also, uh, to save Jack, gets into a fight with one of these things and he guts it with his stupid little knife. And he's like, thing didn't know what it was, who it was fucking with. Like he one-lines, he's super macho one-lines one of these aliens. But um, anyway, he's all messed up. And he's like, uh, and then she picks him up and she's like, get up. Get up, goddammit. I said I would die for them, but not for you. Get up. Let's get out of here, right? And as they're going, they're right by the ship, and you hear a stabbing noise, and you see blood, and he turns and he looks at her, and it's a... It's a really... It's a really earned moment because of what they have now, I guess, sacrificed for each other, and Riddick's plan genuinely, was to get everybody out of there at this point. And he sees, then I, I would assume that he expected to die there. But then he is saved, and this feeling of being saved, I'm sure, changed him. So it's one of those things where you have this character on this uh, verge of you know, on this pivot, and the the pivot's taken, the fulcrum is taken right up from under him, and they just fall. And she got stabbed by one of those huge monsters. They set up the stabbiness of the monsters early on. You know the physiology, they can, they can stab people. And it carries her off. And he's just like, not me. You wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't die for me or something like that. It wasn't me. Or I forgot the exact verbiage, but he's basically saying, not me. He said, not me. And he's really torn up about the fact that Carolyn Fry is just taken away, like, in the out of the arms of, you know, being saved. So that was a good... That was a good arc for the character of Riddick, which was this like uh, super cool loner who then started, I guess, bonding with these people that, you know, they, they kind of needed each other at the end of the day. 
so that was a good arc. And Carolyn, I think, is paying for her past transgressions where she was prepared to kill everyone. And in saving someone, she dies. Or in saving three people, I guess. And Riddick, having killed many people before, loses that connection. He doesn't get that connection. It, it's gone. It's ripped from him. Ripped from his arms, quite literally. So I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, Riddick is, uh, is also somebody who's very non-emotional, and from that moment, he actually seeks revenge on, on these mindless animal aliens, where he purposefully baits them to the ship and then just starts running them over, essentially, uh, for no reason but other than to try to make himself feel better. So he comes from having no feelings to, you know, perhaps feeling a little too much and wanting to numb that pain. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of it. I don't, the movie was, was made for not a lot of money. And I think it did well. I think it spoke, you know, it's a good entry into the sci-fi survival horror genre. They don't rush it. Vin Diesel doesn't say a line for like half an hour into the movie. You don't really see the monsters for a good while, and even when you do, a lot of it's in the darkness. Yeah, the CG's dated, but this isn't, you know, top-tier budget CG. This is, we need to make it work. Uh, the director, David Tui, says that there's something like 200 VFX shots, and that's a lot, but less than what I thought. Uh, especially when talking about The Frighteners, uh, which I did a couple of episodes ago, which has something like 500 VFX shots. So, I mean, Pitch Black isn't going down on my list like, oh, I love this movie, but I, don't, I also don't hate it. Um, I think it was well. I think it ends up positive uh, somewhere on the spectrum of how I feel about movies. And I liked Chronicles of Riddick as well. And this uh, HD DVD was kind of re-released with a lot of material for the Chronicles of Riddick. And I was like, it's a really different movie. And uh, director David Tui talks about that a little bit in some of the special features, of which there are precious few. But, you know, he's like, we didn't want to make the same movie again. We wanted just to make a different movie with some of the characters. Um, you know, not just kind of go over, try and drown and, and beat the dead horse. So that was fine. And I enjoyed the movie. I heard that the game, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay is really good. I did not acquire the game, um, because, wow, man, uh, when an old house gives you surprises, it gives you surprises. So money's kind of tight right now. And, uh, hopefully we make it through. But other than that, this is Chronicles of, this is not Chronicle, this is Pitch Black with uh, the character of Richard B. Riddick, like Richard is Riddick, Richard B. Riddick, maybe the dumbest name for an animalistic space loner that can see in the dark and smell fear and eat aliens for breakfast. 
But then there's also that movie with Hulk Hogan where he's like an alien dude, and that one is definitely worse. So, yeah. Um, let me know what you guys thought of Pitch Black. If you've seen it recently, if you saw it a long time ago, you could tweet at me. Uh, easiest way to do it is through Twitter at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C and Mark with a K. And uh, you can catch uh, this podcast and other podcasts at scumbags.com, S-E-U-M-M-B-A-G-S. And I will eventually have these up on iTunes and Google Podcasts and stuff like that. Additionally, I will tell you what movie I will be watching next episode if you give me a hot second. And it's a little bit more than a second because I need to actually move an effing box. Did I take Pitch Black out of the case? Out of the player? I did not, so let me do that. And here you can hear it. It takes like 40 minutes to boot up, so. Still booting. Still booting. It's still booting up. I should time this. Alright, that is pitch black out of the tray. And if you give me a second, I will find out what movie's next. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to pick. I know that there's one movie in there that I haven't seen also in even longer, uh, probably since the mid to late 90s, and that is Darkman. I do have Darkman on HD DVD, and uh, I'm going to watch that next. I said it. So tune in next episode for Darkman on HD DVD.